We are in uh, week two of our Big Five sermon series. So I want to go ahead and acknowledge something for you. Some of you are thinking, wait a minute, we did a Big Five sermon series just a couple of months ago. We did. That was part one. This is part two. Guess how many parts there are going to be? Five. Look at there. She's, she's back there. She's like, I've got it. I'm ready for school to start. Yeah, it's because your mom's a teacher. Um, But yeah, there are five of these big five sermon series, and we are in the second sermon series. In each one of these, we're dealing with a core value, and this one we're dealing with um, Blessed Hope Community Church's core value number two. Um, And we're going to talk more about that. Pastor David, I want to encourage you before we start, if you missed last Sunday, tell you what, there was something of great value in his message to kick off this sermon series. I'm going to encourage you, listen online, right? Watch the video, download um, the... Down, download the audio, do whatever you do, uh, listen through the podcast app, but whatever you do to ca- stay caught up, because there was some great value in what he preached on last week, and we're just going to keep going in that today. But I want to share with you this. This is a DNA series, and so whenever we have a DNA series, it helps to go backwards and look at all of our DNA so we make sure we know where we're at, okay? Um, our overarching umbrella, rainbow, foundational thing, okay, is our purpose, And this is it. We exist to bring a hurting world the hope of Jesus Christ. That's why we're here. If somebody were to ask you the question, or you were to ponder it in your brain, why does Blessed Hope Community Church exist? The answer is unequivocally clear. Why does Blessed Hope Community Church exist? Well, here's here's the deal. It exists because we need to bring a hurting world the hope of Jesus Christ. It is not rocket science. It is not confusing to us that the world is broken, that chaos reigns, that hurt and hardship abound. And we're not isolated from that in Vinton, right? We read the news, we see the stuff, and we think, oh, well, that's in other places. That's in different places. It's not necessarily here in Vinton. Listen, if that was what you were thinking, man, open your eyes. Hurt is everywhere. Pain, suffering, it's everywhere. And that world needs the hope of Jesus, and that's why we exist. That's why we're here. Okay? So that's our purpose, and and here is our missional strategies. This feeds our purpose. We say, well, how are we going to bring a hurting world the hope of Jesus? Well, here's what we're going to do. We're going to get really good at teaching those and leading ourselves and the people that call Blessed Hope Community Church home. We are going to, to do an exceptional job in leading in these four things. Because if we can lead in these four things, then we know that we will be well positioned to bring a hurting world the hope of Jesus. These four things are, they're on the wall outside. If you're walking out of the sanctuary and like, what are those weird things on the walls? It's these. I'm assuming you had seen that and knew that already, but in case you didn't, that's what those are. These are our missional strategies. One, follow Jesus. If we can all dig in and all understand that it's our responsibility to follow Jesus more and more in our everyday life, then we're going to be on the right path to connect to the church. Most of us have this figured out. Most of us have this figured out. Most of us are well connected to the church. There are some of us, though, that call Blessed Hope Community Church home that are not connected to the church. We're cursory connected to the church. We're nominally connected to the church. We call it our home. We come occasionally to worship, but in any other way, we're not connected. It's cursory. 
right? And so one of the ways that we get good at bringing a hurting world the hope of Jesus, one of the ways that we thrive in that is that we follow Jesus, and in that we connect to the church community. That's why small groups have value. That's why ministry teams have value. Three, we grow. We commit to growing. If you are a believer of Jesus Christ, if you have submitted to him and you have fallen on your knees at the foot of the cross and you have said, I am a sinner saved by the grace of God, then the Holy Spirit lives in you and you are compelled to grow. Let me ask you, are you different today than you were at this time last year? If you're not different today than you were at this time last year, then the question is, what are you doing? Because a Christian grows. They're compelled to. They move. Right? That's why I love a testimony like Josh's. Right? Because you hear Josh say, yeah, you know what? I'm not who I was. And am I done yet? Absolutely not, because I'm not who I will be. Because a Christian grows. And then finally, um, in that, we do this. We live with purpose. What's the purpose? Oh, I know. It's to bring a hurting world the hope of Jesus. How do we bring a hurting world the hope of Jesus? Man, we share the gospel. We meet needs. We love people, even people that aren't always lovable. We do what it takes. We put our preferences aside and we march forward. Why? Because hell is real. People we love are destined to be there without the grace of God. That's our job, right? This is our DNA. This is who we are. This is why we exist. This is how we pull it off. That's in our core. And then we get to our core values, right? And these are what the big five sermon series are about, our core values. Our core values are our culture setters. These are the things that we use to say, look, as a church, this is who we want to be. This is what we want to be known for. This is what we want to be about. And as we work on these, as we grow in these, as we excel in these, and be clear, some of them we do real well, some of them we struggle still, right? Some of us are really great at these, some of us not so much. The point is that these are what we strive for to set the culture, right? Because this is what the church needs to be known for. These are the things that will push us forward as we go to bring a hurting world to hope of Jesus. And we talked about um, in, in part one of this series was this, we are running to keep up with Jesus. If you missed those, if you weren't part of us yet, or um, because it was um, summer, maybe it was a little sporadic, those are all available online. You can go back and listen to that sermon series. It's a four-week series that talks about what it means to be running to keep up with Jesus. And now we're in the second part, what it means to pursue Jesus with ridiculous joy. So that's where we're at, and that's what we're focusing on, and that's what David kicked us off with last week. Now, I'll tell you this. Pursuing Jesus with ridiculous joy is hard. Right? If I said you should pursue Jesus with moderate joy, some of you would be like, ooh, moderate joy. I don't know. That's a lot of joy. Right? You'd be like, I don't know if I can pull that off. Right? And then I say, no, 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 not moderate joy, but ridiculous joy. And you're like, okay, I'm out. I get it. Pastor talked about that last week. 
talked about the fact that it's difficult for us to pursue Jesus with ridiculous joy, but I want to tell you something here. I want, I want to acknowledge something for you. I get that it's hard. And then here's the other magical thing that hopefully you gleaned from David's sermon last week. Listen, you aren't alone in that. See, what happens is we all have this perception that we are either much better than everybody else at something, like, and you don't have to raise your hand, right? But there's some of you that are out there thinking, you know what, I'm better than you and I know it. Okay, don't admit it. It's just where you're at. You're like, in this area, I'm better than you and I know it. Um, But then more often than not, we're down here at the other end of the spectrum where here's what we think. We think, you know what, everybody else is better at that than I am. Everybody else has better circumstances. Everybody else has a better life situation. Everybody else has better stuff going on, so they are better at this than I am. So when it comes to joy, most of us tend to think that everybody else is living lives of joy while we're stuck. And so we feel broken, and we feel like there's something wrong with us, and we feel like something must be malfunctioning in our lives because we're not living in the joy that we're supposed to. And listen, we are broken, And there are things malfunctioning in our lives, keeping us from living in the joy that we're supposed to. But here's the thing that I need you to know. You are not alone in that. Listen to me. Unfortunately, even for the Christian, that is the default position. Most Christians are living lives that lack in joy, much less lives that are marked by ridiculous joy. We just are, and it shouldn't be. But we are because we let circumstances dictate how we feel. And we focus way too much on how we feel. Circumstances dictate, right? Like our families are struggling, they're falling apart. Circumstances dictate job is is stressful, work is too much, my health is deteriorating, right? People seem to be putting burdens on me. Things happen financially, like whatever it is, like we have all of these burdens that we seem to have. And so those circumstances dictate the amount of joy we have. But here's the simple thing that I need you to know. Jesus is victorious. So get this, listen to me, listen carefully. This isn't rocket science, but yet we act like it's so complicated, but it's not. Jesus is victorious. Therefore, Christian, so are we. Now listen, whether you feel like it or not. See, one of the things we're going to talk about today is that your feelings lie. Not always. Sometimes feelings are right on the mark. Sometimes feelings are right on the mark. But in this area, your feelings and your circumstances will lie to you. But we're going to see in Scripture that when we change the lenses, right? David talked about lenses last week. I have some in my office, and I forgot. So, man, what? Like some fanciness going on there. Okay. Well, I can't put them on because they've got a wire. Like, it's a head protector. So I I don't wear his glasses. But here's what's going to happen. You can see what I'm talking about. Here's the way this works. We say Jesus is victorious, therefore so are we. These glasses are the way that we see the world. They're the lenses. You know this analogy. It's not new, right? But these glasses are the way we see the world. And these glasses right here are that Jesus wins. He is victorious. Because he's victorious, so am I. Now, I know that intellectually. 
I have an intellectual understanding, but just because I know it here doesn't mean I see it that way. But if I can wear these glasses, these glasses about Jesus' victory, then look, everything I see is darker. That's not what I meant to say. It's just true because of the glasses. Everything I see is filtered through this fact that Jesus is victorious. And because Jesus is victorious, guess what? So am I. But here's what happens. Circumstances cause me to feel differently. I lost my job. I have crushing debt. My marriage is in peril. My kids are rebellious. My in-laws are atrocious. I'm lonely. I have no friends. I can't make ends meet. I'm in isolation. My health is, is failing me. My memory is going. I can't care for my parents anymore. I don't know what it is. Like, I have no idea what it is. But we take this, and and we have that circumstance, and we see everything through this circumstance, and it's no wonder that we can't find joy, because when we look through these lenses, everything stinks. Nothing feels right, because this is the lens that we're using things through. Listen, when I stand up here... Thank you. You're a good sport. It's possible that they're all sweaty now. So you might want to clean those before you put them back on your head. So here's the deal. Here's the deal, right? It's no wonder that our lives lack joy. See, and some of you get so confused. And we're going to get into the text, and it's going to be okay. You're like, when is he going to start the actual sermon? We're getting there. But, But here's the deal. What happens is this. Some of us, we get so bogged down thinking that we have to create our own joy. We look in the mirror, right? And we steward small yet. I'm good enough. You know it. I'm smart enough. Gosh darn it, people like me. Right? We do that. And we tell ourselves, I'm going to have joy today. Carrie Carrie, um, says this thing sometimes where she's like, today I have decided that I will not be a miserable cow. Okay? And that's her way of saying that I'm going to be in a good mood today. And, and she really means it. And sometimes she pulls it off and sometimes she doesn't. And I really mean it. And sometimes I pull it off. That, what, no, stop it. Sometimes I pull it off. Sometimes I don't. I'll pay you five bucks. Sometimes I pull it off. Sometimes I don't. The issue is this. When we do that, we're looking in the mirror and we're girding our own strength. And what we're doing is we're saying, well, regardless of my circumstance, I will get myself joyful. And that will fail, and it will be fleeting, and it will never last. Because your joy was never about your circumstance. Your joy was about God's victory. Jesus is victorious, therefore, so are you, whether you feel like it or not. And that fact should give you ridiculous joy. And we see how it works in Scripture. I'm going to give you a couple of examples Um, both from the Old Testament, um, one from a a character in the Old Testament that you would know very well, I hope, and one from a character in the Old Testament that you will not know as well. The character in the Old Testament that you should know very well is Elijah. Elijah um, was a prophet of God, and he was the dude, right? 
Elijah was the guy. In fact, when, when people wanted to know who Jesus was, some of them would say, right, when Jesus like, who are they saying I am? Some are like, well, some say you're John the Baptist, come back. Some say you're Elijah, right? This is, this is, a, big, this is a big guy. This is um, God's prophet. In fact, he did some, some really cool things. He reigned, um, I'm sorry, he didn't reign. He, he ministered in the time of um, the divided kingdom, and he was in the kingdom of the worst king and the worst king's wife to date in existence, Ahab and Jezebel. And so he was ministering during the time of Ahab and Jezebel. And um, Ahab and Jezebel were so evil because they had led people away from the worship of God. And they had led people to embrace the worship of the demonic influences um, of the false gods, Baal and Asherah. And so what happened is they tore down all of the altars to God. They tore down the high places of God. And in their place, they built blasphemous altars to Baal and blasphemous altars to Asherah. And instead of celebrating um, the things that God said celebrate, Jubilee, the Passover, right? The, the, the Feast of Tents, all of these things that they were supposed to celebrate. Instead, they celebrated to these false pagan gods. And they led a nation in apostasy. And they killed anybody that spoke out against it. All of the prophets, they murdered, except those that God protected. And Elijah was the chief among them. And, and through the Holy Spirit, um, God prompted Elijah to tell Ahab, look, it is not going to rain anymore. And he prays for a drought and the skies close up and there is no rain for three years. Then one day, God prompts him. We can find this story in First Kings, by the way. First Kings, I, I believe 14. Um, God prompts him. Hey, you go tell him that it's going to rain, but first, here's how it's going to go. And so he's like, all right, I'll do it. And he goes, tells um, Ahab, hey, you know what? It's time for us to settle this. So here's what you do. You go ahead and get your 450 prophets of Baal and your 400 prophets of Asherah, and you meet me on Mount Carmel. And so they do, and this is this grand showdown, the prophets of Baal against God of the universe. And so what happens is you've got little old Elijah all by his lonesome, and you've got the 850 prophets of Baal and Asherah, and, and Elijah instructs them, here's what we're going to do. We're going to build two altars. We're going to take two bulls. We're going to slaughter them, and we're going to set them up as a sacrifice. And then whichever one God honors, if my God honors mine, he will take it by fire. We won't light a fire, but he will take it by fire. And if your God honors your sacrifice, then you won't light a fire, but he will take it by fire. And he lets them go first. He's like, well, there's 850 of you, right? Which bowl do you want? They pick a bowl, they slaughter it, they cut it into pieces, they put it on the altar. And then for hours, they dance around praying to the God of Baal, praying to Asherah, that God would, that their God, their small g God, their, their demon would bless the sacrifice and prove his power by taking um, the sacrifice. They, they chant, they dance, 
and nothing happens. In fact, this is where we have the first recorded trash talk in history. Elijah's standing over here going, yell louder. Maybe he's in the bathroom. Maybe he didn't hear you. Maybe he's busy. Be loud. So then they start cutting themselves, thinking that their blood will make him act. But nothing. And eventually they grow tired. They stop, and then it's Elijah's turn. So he takes his bull, sacrifices it, cuts it up, puts it on the altar, digs a trench around the altar. Then he's like, here's what we're going to do. Let's get a total of 12 big jars full of water. Let's pour it on top. Like, we don't want, it, we don't want anybody thinking, oh, well, his altar was just drier, so it caught on fire easy. No, no, no. He douses it with 12 big jars of water, so much so that it fills the trench that's around the altar. And then he steps back, and he prays. And he says, okay, God take it. Lightning from heaven, fire from heaven consumes the bowl, the altar, the stones, and even the water out of the trench. In this great victory of God, the people are amazed and they turn to Elijah and they say, what do you want us to do? And Elijah says, those 850 prophets of Baal, destroy them. And they do. All of the prophets of Baal and Asherah are annihilated on that day. God is victorious. You would think that that would be a pretty good lens to see things from. But then this happens. 1 Kings 19, when Ahab got home, he told Jezebel everything Elijah had done, including the way he had killed all the prophets of Baal. So Jezebel sent this message to Elijah. May the gods strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you just as you killed them. So the most powerful man and the most powerful woman in the nation have decided that they want Elijah dead. And so now he has two choices. He can use the lenses that say, man, God is victorious. And so am I. Or he can use the lenses that say, the most powerful man and the most powerful woman in the nation have sworn on oath to kill me. So here's what Elijah does. Here's the lenses he uses. He runs away. He was afraid and he fled for his life and he went on alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and he prayed that he might die. Listen to me. He is so confused. He is using the wrong lenses. He is seeing the world in such a wrong way, not understanding that his feelings lie, but that his God is victorious. Here's what he says. I have had enough, Lord. Take my life. For I'm no better than my ancestors who've already died. He says, it is hopeless. I don't want to die by her hand, God, so you just take my life now because there's nothing you can do. This is the God who just mocked 850 prophets of Baal and Asherah and, and who, who <laughs> sent a fire from heaven to take this sacrifice that just showed once and for all, I am the God of Israel. You worship me and me alone. And he showed all of this through Elijah, this power and this victory. But here, because Elijah's using the wrong lenses, he sits down under the tree and he says, God, just kill me now. Just take me away. I don't want to live anymore. 
mean, this is dark stuff. And it's right after this grand victory. This is what happens when we see things wrong. And if ever there was a time for somebody to say, I know that I have victory in God and I have joy because of that, it would be here. But no, he falters. And then there's another one before we get in our text in Corinthians. And it's, it's about a, a woman you may not know. She's got like 18 verses in all of scripture. Um, we know her as Shunammite woman. Shunammite woman um, is, uh, we read about her in 2 Kings. Uh, I'll show you some text here in a second. But the Shunammite woman is just a godly woman. She's married to an older gentleman. They have no children. Um, and they run a farm. And one day, Elisha, not Elijah, but Elisha, Elijah's um, apprentice who takes over as, as God's prophet, Elisha um, is coming through town and the Shunammite woman says, hey, you know what? Um, why don't you stay here and have a meal? And so he, he gratefully accepts and he stays in her home and in their home and he eats a meal and then he's on his way. But then she says to her husband, hey, let's do this for him. He's comes through here all the time. So... Let's build him a room upstairs. It'll have a bed, a desk, a lamp, and he can stay here when he's traveling. And so they do, and he does. He stays there when he's traveling. One day when he's staying there, he says to his assistant, I want to do something nice for them. How can I bless them? And, and they ask her, the assistant asks her, well, how? And she's like, I don't need anything. I don't need anything. But Elisha says, no, 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 we really want to do something. And, and the guy says, the, the assistant says, well, here's the deal. Her husband is very old. She has no children. So Elisha's like, all right, cool. And he calls her in and he says, hey, by this time next year, you're going to have a baby. She's like, don't get my hopes up. I didn't ask you for that. Don't get my hopes up. He's like, no, I promise you. This time next year, you're going to have a baby. And guess what? She did. She had a baby. And the baby starts to grow. Becomes a young man. And there's all kinds of hope and power and victory in that baby. Because it was a child of the promise that God had made to her. And then here's what happens. 2 Kings 4. One day when her child was older, he went out to help his father who was working with the harvesters. Suddenly he cried out, my head hurts, my head hurts. His father said to one of the servants, carry him home to his mother. So the servant took him home and his mother held him on her lap, but around noontime he died. Joking with Amy, it was in poor taste. Um, the reason Pastor David's not here this morning is he um, sent me a message this morning that he was having a terrible migraine. I was like, oh, man, could be a foreshadow. I don't know. I don't think so. I think he just has a terrible migraine, but we're praying for him. So um, tonight we have our back to school praise and prayer night. For those of you that, that didn't know about that, I'll remind you, it's tonight. Uh, we're going to be covering the schools, the administrators, the teachers, the staff, and the students and families in prayer we're meeting with four other churches, or I'm sorry, three other churches and a Youth for Christ parachurch group. We'll be meeting here. Oak Grove's going to help us lead worship. Then when that's done, we're going to go pray at each of the schools in our community. Um, total, it's going to take about an hour and 15 minutes. I would encourage you to be here at six o'clock for that, okay? We're praying for David to recover from that because he will help us lead worship tonight. Um, also, because we don't want him to be in pain or have a brain aneurysm or any of that, okay? Side note, now we're, we're back to the text, but here's what happens. Talk about glasses and how to see this. If anybody has a right to see life through our circumstances, it would be the Shunammite woman. 
She would have a right um, in an earthly sense, she would have a right to be dejected and hopeless and to lack all joy because she sees everything through the circumstances of her dead child. But here's what she does. She carried him up and laid him on the bed of the man of God, then shut the door and left him there. Then she sent a message to her husband, send one of the servants and a donkey so that I can hurry to the man of God and come right back. He says, why are you going today? Right? It's not a new moon. Uh, it's not a Sabbath festival. Like, what are you doing? But she said, listen to this. Don't worry. It'll be all right. I'm going to take care of it. I mean, that's her attitude. She's not distraught. She's not in distress. She's not seeing things through her circumstances. She's seeing things through the fact that God is victorious and she goes to the man of God. In fact, the man of God sees her coming. Elisha sees her coming and sends his servant out. Go ask her what's wrong. She says to the servant, says to her, what's wrong? She's like, oh, nothing. No worries. And just keeps coming. And then she gets there and she breaks down. She says, I didn't ask you for this. I didn't ask you for this. I said, don't get my hopes up. Right? Take care of it. And Elisha does. He goes home. And I guess if something happened to David, this is what we'll have to try. Elisha goes to the house, goes up um, to the room where the boy is laying on the bed, and he lays down so that his heels touch his heels and his arms touch his arms and his face touches his face and he breathes into him. And the boy comes back to life. See, here's the thing. Some of you are going to say, well, that was easy for her to have joy in that because the child came back to life. Here's, she didn't know. She had no way of knowing what God was going to do. Here's what she knew. She knew that my God is victorious and that's enough for me. Everything else will figure itself out. The lenses you use matter. If you are using your own strength to find joy, then you will maybe have it for a minute. Maybe you'll have a good week. But it will be temporary and it will be fleeting. And get this, it will be exhausting. And eventually you will end up like Elijah. You'll be saying, God, I'm done with this. Maybe you'll say, take my life, I'm finished. Maybe you'll say, forget this faith, I'm done with it. I don't know what you'll say, but, but you might find yourself in a position where you just say, I'm done. But if you find your joy in his victory, and we can do that, look, here's the deal. 1 Corinthians 15, 56 and 57. Here, here's, here's the power in this. For sin is the sting that results in death. But thank God he gave us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is just this grand truth, right? Sin is the sting that results in death and the law gives sin its power, but thank God he gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is what we read. When I stand at a grave site doing a committal service, this is the text that I read. This is, this is what I say because this is where the power is. This is where our hope comes from. For the Christian, anyway, this is, this is where it happens, right? This is what I read. But let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. We will not all die, but we will all be transformed. It'll happen in a moment, in the blink of an eye, when the last trumpet is blown. For when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever, and all who are living will also be transformed. For our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. Our mortal bodies must be transformed into immortal bodies. Then, when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, this scripture will be fulfilled. Death is swallowed up in victory. 
O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? And then he says this, immediately following, for sin is the sting that results in death, and law gives sin its power, but thank God he gave us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. See, here is the reality of Christ's victory. He is victorious. So guess what? You are too. Whether you feel like it or not. See, in the garden, Satan was winning. He thought he was winning. On the cross, he thought he was winning. Sin was the sting of death. But thanks be to God through the cross of Christ and the resurrection. Sin has been defeated. Joy is found in the victory of Christ. You don't have to do it on your own. In fact, listen to me. Stop trying to do it on your own. Stop trying to look in the mirror and will yourself to be happy. Stop trying to look in the mirror and will yourself to have a good day. Stop looking in the mirror and telling yourself that it's up to you to find joy. Listen to me. It is not up to you to find joy. And life sucks. I get it. There are good times. There are bad times. I get it. But it is not about that. It is about the victory that is yours in Christ. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? It is non-existent. Because... Thank God he gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. So I want you to understand this, this just simple truth. Jesus is victorious. Therefore, so are you. I shared this with you earlier. You're like, man, I already had this in my notes. I know, it's okay. Jesus is victorious. Therefore, so are you, whether you feel like it or not. Last thing I'll share with you. Next verse. So my dear brothers and sisters, this is the so what? You're like, okay, Jesus is victorious, so are you. So therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, because Jesus is victorious and so are you, be strong and immovable. Be strong and immovable. Get that, strong and immovable. In the reality that Jesus is victorious and therefore you are victorious too and you can have great joy, be strong and immovable. Stop telling yourself something else. Stop believing lies that tell you something else. Stop listening to your circumstances that tell you something else. Stop it. Be strong. Be immovable. Listen to me. Feelings lie. Truth is truth. God either is who he says he is or he's not. There is a truth that exists. Facts are facts no matter what you feel like. If God is good then he's good regardless of your circumstances. If God is gracious, then he is gracious regardless of your circumstances. If God is in control, then he's in control whether it feels like it or not. If he's for you, then he's for you. But Matt, my health is deteriorating. I know. But Matt, the most powerful man and woman in the kingdom want to kill me. I know. But Matt, my marriage is in peril. I know. My kids are awful. I know. Not my kids, your kids. No, I'm kidding. I don't know what it is, right? I don't know. 
I don't know your life in and out the way that you know your own life in and out, but I know what you're, I, I know that the butt's coming, but Matt, how am I supposed to be strong and immovable? How am I supposed to always remember that God's good, right? How am I supposed to always remember that God's got me? How am I supposed to always remember that he's in control? How am I supposed to remember that? Because it's fact. Facts are fact. Feelings lie. Truth is what it is. Okay? So be strong and immovable. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord, for you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. This is where we'll end, and it's just this call. Listen, part of how you live with ridiculous joy, and we'll dig into this more next week, part of how you live with ridiculous joy, when you understand that I am victorious because of Jesus' victory, not because my life is awesome. Joy doesn't happen because your life is awesome. I hope your life is awesome, but that's not where joy comes from. Joy comes from the fact that I know that Jesus is victorious and, and, and death has lost its victory and death has lost its sting, and, and that is the case. No matter what, I can have joy because that's true. And when I know that, and this is where we'll jump off next week, when I know that, I know that I can always work enthusiastically for the Lord because nothing I do for the Lord is ever useless. You know, one of the main reasons that we struggle with joy in our lives is because we assume that nothing matters. We assume that it doesn't matter. Right? Everything is so wrong that what I do can't possibly matter. Things are so far gone that what I do can't possibly matter. That, that people are so far away from the Lord that what I share can't possibly matter. And we get stuck in this. But listen, it's not true. Everything matters. Nothing is useless. Because of that victory, always work enthusiastically for the Lord because everything matters. I ask the praise team to come up. I'm going to pray and I'm going to close this. And here's what I'm going to ask you to do as we pray and as we get ready to close the service. Um, some of you here need to repent. Here's what I mean. As a Christian, you have been living a life that's so devoid of joy that it indicates that you don't really believe those things about God. You don't really believe that he's good. You don't really believe that he's powerful. You don't really believe that he's got you. You've been so focused on your circumstances. You've been so focused on how you feel that you've forgotten that your joy was never about you. Your joy was about victory in Christ. And if that's you, if you're sitting here and you're thinking, man, I have just been sucking joy out of the world. I have been a black hole of misery. I don't, I don't say that lightly. I don't say it to mock. I don't say it to be funny. I say it because some of us get stuck there. I have been a black hole of misery. And I've tried to do it myself. I've tried to convince myself. I've tried to, to build myself up. Listen, you need to repent of that. And you need to commit to God. It won't be easy, and you'll have to remind yourself every day, but you need to commit to God. You know what? I'm going to find my joy in you, in your victory, not in myself and in my circumstances and the things that I do. So if you need to, if you need to repent of that as we pray and as we worship together, then do so, right? And make a commitment to step into real joy. Heavenly Father, God, thank you so much for the cross. Thank you for the fact that that death has lost its victory and that death has lost its sting. Thank you for the fact that Christ is victorious, therefore so are we. 
and that our joy is not dependent on our circumstances, Father, but that our joy is dependent on that victory. And that victory is certain and sure no matter how I feel. Thank you for Jesus. And thank you for the victory that comes through his sacrifice and his resurrection. God, we love you and we praise you. Amen.